This is Writers Not Writing, the show where you can get to know your favorite writers and soon-to-be favorite writers by listening to them confess to the ways they procrastinate. Thanks for procrastinating with us. I'm Benjamin Gorman, and the quiet guy behind the glass there is Doug the producer. I write novels and collections of poetry and stuff. Doug tries his best to make me sound better. And each week we have a secret word to listen for. If you catch it, you earn the right to take an extra break at the time of your choosing from whatever is stressing you out. From Not A Pipe Publishing, welcome to Writers Not Writing. I can't. <laughs> okay. Today's secret word is owl. Perfect. Oh, that's great. Okay. I'm actually, I think I'm going to keep your laugh in there too, because that's a great <laughs> Welcome, everyone. Today's guest is Marianne Zenos. Uh, Marianne is a writer and artist living in Western Massachusetts. She's the author of Doom Cookies and Donuts in the new anthology Written with Pride and Red Tail Shifters in the anthology The Underdogs Rise, Volume 1, among other various publications in all kinds of places, many of which you can find uh, online. So that, that is cool. But I am looking forward to checking out uh, The Underdogs Rise myself. So welcome. Very glad to have you here today. Thanks for having me. This is great. So regular listeners know our first thing we do is tell everybody about these costumes we're wearing because mm -hmm. the viewers can see what we're, we chose to wear today. We always dress up in costume, but our podcast listeners have no idea what we're wearing. So tell everybody about your costume today. Oh, well, I, I am dressed in a long black trench coat with pink cowboy boots and um, I have dark uh, matrix glasses on because I'm thinking a lot. I'm channeling Neo's auntie. That's oh, what yes. I am today is Neo's auntie. So very cool. Um, I I wanted to go classic sci-fi too. I know I know Matrix is modern, but you know it's 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 achieved that place in the sci-fi pantheon. But I went way back, so seventies. I went with uh, uh, Sean Connery's costume from Zardos. So uh, if people don't know what Zardos, the folks watching know this is a costume to remember. Uh, it is an epic sci-fi costume. And uh, and those of you who are uh, listening to the podcast, I encourage you look up the Zardos costume. Um, it's a little bit uh, uh, uncomfortable, uh, but I'm, you know, I'm, I'm feeling brave and I decided to try it out. So uh, check out the, uh, the Zardos costume online if you want to know what I'm looking like today. And I appreciate your spirit. Thank you very much. Yeah. This, this was, you know, it took some courage to put this on. <laughs> so, uh, so what is something that this is a show about procrastination, what we're doing when we're not writing. So what's been taking right. you away from your writing this week? You know, I'm a little bit boring. And the thing that takes me away from my writing sometimes is um, cooking shows. I watch a lot of Chopped. And there are two things I like about Chopped. One is that uh, it's like a story prompt. They say, we'll give you these four ingredients. What can you do with them? And they have nothing to do with each other. And somehow they come up with a dish and that we often do the same thing with stories. You come up with the most, you know, just crazy associations and put them together into a story. And the other thing I like is that um, chefs tend to tell stories mm -hmm. and their food often tells stories. And a lot of chefs, I, um, my my grandparents are all immigrants and a lot of them worked with cooking. And um, I think cooking often brings people to this country that that's a first jo as a job that they can come and do. Right. You know? So anyway, so the chefs come from Cambodia, they come from, you know, there's Greeks there. So anyway, they tell their, so I like that. I like that. Yeah. About 
I'd never thought about the, the the mystery ingredient being very much like a writing prompt, but you're right, it is. So often our prompts are, you know, here's two things you would not have expected to go together, create a story, you know, and then yes. that can be a great tool. So, yes, a lot of chopped. Um, so outside of the fun of chopped, what's some news that's been getting your attention lately? Um. Well, I try to avoid the ex-president as much as I can. So, Box. I mean, I've seen, you know, I've seen his boxes in the bathroom, which is great. And the chandelier is great. And the memes <laughs> are hysterical. And as long as I don't see his face, I yeah. think it's really funny. But um, but I don't really like seeing him physically. But um, I've been feeling very aware, especially because we've been working on the anthology written with pride, that this is the anniversary of the Pulse um, massacre in Orlando, Florida. And... Um, as a June as being a time when people are celebrating LGBTQ relationships, that there's uh, also this anniversary of a really um, of, of, of a, an attack on a sanctuary, right? On a queer sanctuary, and so um, I've been feeling very aware of that, and um, and on social media, a lot of friends posting, you know, memories of that that time period and so i've been that's been a news item that's really been at the front of my mind yeah in one of the uh, ads we posted for um for the rhythm with pride anthology the, the vitriol has just been so so ugly and in the context of the wake of the pulse nightclub shooting i'm just right. struck by you know thinking he, you know here's this thing that we should be you know remembering with kind of horror uh and and mm -hmm. and yet here are folks who are still amping up that rhetoric and so that has been very much on my mind that you know reading this stuff is just i, I i've been really torn about do we remove it all because we're taking that hatred out of the world or do we leave it so that you know cishet folks like me are going oh this is what you know we need to be aware is out there this level of hatred and it's really vile so yeah that that is hard. it's a really good conversation though of thinking about what do you do because when i i, I looked at it and i was thinking i would have deleted all yeah. of it because also i feel like i've heard it all before and but i also think sometimes people aren't aware of the depth yeah because yeah. that was like some really snaky, creepy, horrible stuff coming out of the woodwork. Well, and, one of the things that was striking me was it didn't take long for then it to start yeah. being also anti-Semitic, racist. And it was like, I, I want some of these folks to see like, this is who you're hanging out with. This is who you're siding with. This is, it's the same you know, intersectional oppressive thread, you know, whether you, uh, the, the, these folks are all kind of in league in, in whether they are conscious of it or not in saying, I want this group or that group or this group eliminated from the world. And so that's, right. that's been really striking and also scary. That's a really good point. I mean, I still think I want you to delete it all. Can I go off script for a minute, even though we don't have a script? We have sure, no script sure. and we're yeah. dressed up very sci-fi. But um, when I went to my first, uh, it's also the anniversary of my very first gay pride march. And um, we used to call it just pride. So my first pride march, uh, like 46 years ago. And at that time, there was no rainbow capitalism. There yeah. were no allies. There was not. I remember walking down Arlington Street in Boston and feeling like we were all going to die. Like, I really felt like we were, that was, it was one of the most frightening things I've ever done. And um, everybody stood by the side of the road, staring with their arms crossed. Yeah. 
and it's a very it's a very different world now. I mean, people are out there trying to get your money. They're all trying to get right, the, right. the rainbow money. You know, they like here, we'll send you, you know, Cracker Barrel has rainbow armchairs and things like right. that. So, I mean, that's funny, but it in that I, it's an improvement. It is, it, it's, it is interesting. It's it's a, you know, folks will say, oh, it's performative. And I'm like, yeah, but it's also, it is an improvement. Like it's a, you know, this is right. much safer. It's better now. And at the same time, yeah, it is, you know, that, that it, it is that yeah. rainbow capitalism. Because, and I'll take that rainbow armchair. I mean, I love right. it. It's that's a cool thing. At the same time, when you see these people posting it's, it's so there's something that has not changed and something that it really other things have changed. Well, and and maybe I mean has not changed or has changed in that they actually feel more threatened. Like they're like, oh, I can't, you know, the, I'm, th this hatred that I was allowed to, you know, have privately, I now right. have to be even more public with my hatred because, you know, and so right. the, that level of vitriol was probably always there but was hidden and now it's so visible as as pride becomes visible the hatred is also right. so much more visible and that's what's scary you know I, I i see these images and i'm just like you don't understand how close your rhetoric is to actual violence mm -hmm. or may, and maybe in some cases they do but i'm yeah. seeing it and i'm going this is really frightening stuff so right yeah that's a very good point yeah um yeah, that's that has been, uh, you know, uh, challenging. On the other hand, it has been wonderful to see the folks who are pushing back. And, you know, many of those folks are straight allies, too. And they're saying this is unacceptable. And I'm like, good, there there is, you know, some uh, some right. support there. But uh, yeah, that, that's been challenging to to see. And written with pride. I mean, just to think that what it, it wasn't that I mean, it, it, it exists and right. This anthology exists, and um, I had a friend who wrote one of the very first queer anthologies. She wrote something called Pink Triangles. She edited it, Pink Triangles, in the late seventies, early eighties, I think. And nobody was publishing books like that, and you know, so that was like such a big. It was a big deal. So this is to be able to have people publishing and people at, putting online, you know, asking for stories. That's all of that is. A wonderful i mean of course people can get married now and marriage is a big deal so all of those things are different but i but knowing that the haters are as vocal yeah. and as fast and as sort of blatant as they are is still um it's that's a, just a thing to keep in mind i guess yeah well and even like marriage and being able to adopt children i am so grateful that folks can have their families recognized. And at the same time, when you see this hatred, it makes me so afraid for those couples and for their children, mm -hmm. you know, that that now they are recognized and yet recognition is in and of itself this kind of documentation for uh, hateful people, you know? And and so that's, uh, you know, I, I, I am so pleased for these children who are going to get to be, you know, raised by families that love them and have that yes. social recognition. And at the same time, I am going, oh, the, it is a scary world for, a, for scary world. a lot of families. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um. So uh, what is something else that you've been getting up to when you are not writing lately? Well, I'm also, I'm also a visual artist under a different name. So, um, and I, I, I have different glasses for that artist, but anyway, so I'm, I, so I have, I have, I'm a visual artist under a different name and I'm getting ready for a two person show. Um, a lot of those pieces are based on stories and I'm excited about that. So um, I'm 
I have a typewriter. I have this great old, I wish I could show it on this. Um, I have an old Olivetti Valentine typewriter that's like cherry red. And I hang it from the ceiling and Rapunzel's diary comes hanging down from it. It's about 20 feet, a 20 foot paper type paper scroll. So I'm working on that. And that's, um, it's a lot of fun. You know, I'm at the part of the work where we're doing publicity and that's not as much fun. Yeah. Yeah. But for a piece. So how does, I mean, I'm thinking just weight what just like the physics it's of a it. Problem. This is a heavy and all of any typewriters were not lightweight. And no. so how far is it hanging from the ceiling? Well, we once built that the another time I showed it, except I'm, I want to make the scroll at least 10 feet longer this time. But the other time that we showed it, we built a shelf up at the ceiling and it sat on the shelf to handle the weight. Yeah. This time I'm gonna mount it just above eye level because it's a beautiful object. Right. The typewriter is gorgeous. So I'm going to mount it just above eye level. And I think we're going to use clamps at the top and bottom, but it's really going to have to be, it's going to make some holes in the wall. And right. um, and then the scroll, which is going to be longer than last time, is just going to like pile up. It's just going to be piles and piles and piles yeah. of a story. How are you lighting it? Because I think that could be really cool, uh, you know, to either have a light right above or lights mm-hmm. on the sides. How are you going to, have you thought about that? I think that? they're going to be like one from each side, I think, because it's yeah. in this, um, it's in this really cute corner of the gallery that it's also the anchor point. So when you walk into the show, it's going to be the first thing you see That's is this, cool. you know, of story falling onto the floor. And um, so we'll have, we'll have, we have two spots. That will be on it. Nice. That will oh, light yeah. it. I, I look forward to seeing pictures. I hope you. Can I will definitely send you that. pictures. That would be really cool. Yeah. So that's that's fantastic. Well, one of the things we do on the show to kind of help folks get to know authors uh, is I ask about um, if you were a Dungeons and Dragons character, and I know you're not a big D and D player yeah. yourself, so. If you, when you know, you're thinking about the the kind of races and classes that people get put into in D and D, what would be your race and class and and occupation? I just I know that you um, I, I've thought about this and I was thinking and I and I've never done Dungeons and Dragons, but I am really, I mean, I've been writing about dragons right. a lot, and so um, and I've been that's just been so important to me, and I really care about wizards. I mean, I just love, I love wizards and I love dragons. So, I mean, that's, you know, I mean, of course, all the others, I don't know all the nuances of them, but you can't go wrong with a dragon. Yeah. Well, and as writers, I I am working on an idea for a piece of, I don't normally write nonfiction, but I've been teaching creative writing for so many years now that I've I've got this ambition to, I've started note-taking for a book about writing that is all around the theme that really this is a book of magic that writing is you know a kind of telepathy where we put a universe into somebody else's mind and so you're really not reading a book about creative writing you're really reading this secret book of magic and i think that would be a really fun way to kind of frame teaching somebody how to write think about this as telepathy you know and uh, and and so yes i i am i'm i'm leaning into the wizard thing myself i'm a big fan (laughs) of of wizards yes Mm -hmm. Um, so, okay, you are a wizard and you are attacked in the woods by three small, you know, not particularly menacing goblins. What do you do? Oh, I would um, sing to them. And there and then um, and then and the song is actually as part a spell because it the movement of their feet 
changes the way they think. So I would, that's what I would do. I would sing to them. That's an excellent answer. A singing <laughs> spell that controls the goblins. I love it. Okay, we're going to go into our ad break now. And when we come back, um, okay. I'm going to ask you about what you've been daydreaming about lately. Whoa, nice question. This week's show is brought to you by Miko Azul's The Staff of Fire and Bone and its sequel, The Rod of Wind and Iron. In the Staff of Fire and Bone, half-demon Cedrin Varkaris is on the run. He survived among his father's people as an Ascari, sequestered behind the castle walls for his own safety. The Ascari people tolerated his existence until age 15, when his demonic powers manifested. Despite being the son of a powerful regent, the Ascari hate and fear him. The Shaili, his demon mother's people, hunt him as an abomination that must be destroyed. Magic is forbidden in Ascari Bar, and Cedrin's powers are uncontrolled. Death and destruction follow him as he grapples with learning to use his abilities with disastrous results. With no safe haven to hide him, and few to trust, Cedrin must overcome a millennium of prejudice to acquire the four sacred elemental stones from the different peoples of Moralia. He needs them to create a talisman that may unify the various peoples of his world against the great demon Laylor, whose banishment nears its end. With little hope of redemption or thwarting Laylor's plans, Cedrin and his companions take heroism to a shocking new level. The choices they make and sacrifices they endure push them further than they ever expected possible, and the fate of all Moralians hangs in the balance. In The Rod of Wind and Iron, the adventure continues with more complicated challenges and higher stakes. Although Cedrin has acquired Ration, the Staff of Fire and Bone, he knows it won't be enough to save his world from the ravages it faces. The Garanth army marches against the Ascari, slaughtering everyone in their path and raising fields and towns alike. Meanwhile, an indestructible horde created by dark magic bears down on the Shaili, intent on destroying all life in Moralia. Amidst the chaos and death, Cedrin and Senna Kral, the daughter of a notorious spy, become unwilling allies. Senna's goal is to restore her father's reputation and save her city from total annihilation. Cedrin's quest is to acquire the Lost Windstone of Yesmarantha, which is essential in creating the only weapon that could potentially challenge the great demon Laylor. Natural enemies, Senna and Cedrin devise an uneasy and temporary truce in order to achieve their ends. Betrayal is inevitable. Trust is impossible. Hope and time are running out. Order your copies of The Staff of Fire and Bone and The Rod of Wind and Iron today. Authors, poets, playwrights, as some of you know, we participate in an annual fundraiser for the Alzheimer's Association called The Longest Day. On that day, people around the country and around the world do all kinds of things like walkathons and knitting and mountain climbing, and they ask their friends and families to make donations for their efforts to the Alzheimer's Association to support care for families and research to find a cure for Alzheimer's. I participated in a few walks and then said to myself, self, you are mediocre at walking and do not have a bunch of awesome friends known for their walking ability, but you can write and know a whole lot of other writers. So back in 2018, Notified Publishing put together our first Writing Against the Darkness team, and we've been going strong ever since. Here's the ask. You can join our team with a few clicks. If you want to, you can buy a t-shirt for the fundraiser, but that's not required. Then you post to your social media a few times, asking your friends and family to pledge to support you. On Wednesday, June 21st, we all hop on a Zoom call together early in the morning to say hello, wish one another luck, and then we write from dawn until dusk, 5.24 a.m. to 9.04 p.m. here at My Latitude. It's a long day, but don't worry, you can take all the breaks you want. 
In fact, if a Wednesday doesn't fit into your work schedule, you can do your longest day on another day before or after. The Alzheimer's Association won't turn your donations away. At the end of the day, we share out our word count and total them up and see how many words the team has written in a day. And how badly John Dover, author of Once Upon a Fang in the West, has beaten us by every year. It's fun, productive, and raises money for a good cause. If you'd like to participate, there is a link in the show notes. We would love to have you on our team. So come join our Writing Against the Darkness team and write with us for a good cause. Thank you. Welcome back, everybody. I'm back with Marianne Zenos. And uh, Marianne, what have you been daydreaming about lately? I, I think I daydream about the stories I'm writing a lot. They're in my head all day. Um, and lately, I, and also I've been daydreaming about, uh, I have been daydreaming about travel, but also I, I've been noticing that my characters tend sort of when I'm feeling like I want to, cause I'm still home a lot because of COVID and I, I haven't traveled. I had, um, some opportunities where I could have gone to Hollywood, you know, to get this award and I didn't go. And yeah. so, um, so I daydream about that, but I've been noticing that I send my characters on more trips. So I was writing a story and it was just going to be in Massachusetts. All of a sudden they're in Sicily. And then all of a sudden, like, they're like, why not go over to Istanbul? And so like, I've noticed that my stories are getting a little bit, you know, and they, they all dance, everybody dances. So it's sort of, um, I think that's where my daydreaming has been going has been yes. into stories. Oh yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it's some, some part of your subconscious is saying, I need to go to Istanbul and do whirling dervish. Like, you know, yes. guess. and you know, and they're those great cats. Istanbul is full of cats. Did you ever see that? Oh, what's the name of the movie? Oh, it begins with a K. Do you know, there's this, it's beautiful. There's a, a movie about all the cats in Istanbul. How cool. And, it is I a beautiful. I was in film. Delphi last. Uh, what was this? Last summer, the summer before, oh. I was in Greece, and same thing. Tons of cats. Right. Uh, and that was really fun. Yeah. Um, so that's what I've been daydreaming about. Oh yeah, that that's great. Yeah, I I I feel that myself. My my trilogy that I'm working on right now, the first book, came about because I was on a trip in Ireland. Scotland, France, you know, uh, England, France. And it was this kind of whirlwind trip over the course of like two weeks. We were seeing just a ton. And I thought, what if I condensed that even more into this chase story throughout, you know, and then that became the the, the novel. And then mm -hmm. the second book has, I went on a trip to Costa Rica. And so it's got a scene in Costa Rica. And it looks like this next year, uh, my, my dad reached out and said he would like to take just me and my brother to Southeast Asia. Whoa. And I was like, then I guess that's where the third book is going to take place. <laughs> so yeah, I'm really, really looking good. forward to, you know, just taking notes like crazy and saying, you know, you know, meeting people and saying, would you like to be in a novel? Cause I'm putting people into the, you know, like, incorporate them into the book. I think that'll be a lot of fun. That's really fun. But yeah, travel is one of these wonderful ways to kind of open our minds. And so, yeah, mm -hmm. I, I, Highly recommend to all writers out there. And I had to do it backwards because I decided this thing about, I don't know, what, just about Sicily. And Sicily has active volcanoes. And then, I, so then I decided I need, they needed to go out to a bar. So, I mean, and then looking at Palermo and, um, and you know, you can go Google Street View and you can yes. start looking around at places. And it was, so I invented uh, this, this bar in Palermo and um, it's, so the, all of that was really fun. It's not as fun as traveling, but it's also... I, I wound up enjoying 
I, t I totally do the same thing, street view and the maps so that I get the street names right and stuff. And we have remarkable, you know, tools at our disposal that writers did not have. And so I can right. do that research and say, I don't know that I'm necessarily getting the feel of the place right, but at least I can get these details <laughs> right because uh, it's all available there. Mm hmm. Yeah, yeah, Palermo. That that is cool, and and I did, in fact I created a bar in uh, in uh, uh, let's see, the uh, there is a bar called um, oh God, from Casablanca. What is the the bar Ricks? Uh -huh. It is a Ricks now made after the movie, of course, in uh, in Casablanca, and I ended up doing a whole bunch of reading about this place Ooh. and the pianist who plays at the bar, mm -hmm. and you know. Uh, and and then and then setting a scene there because we can find all this it's at our fingertips so it, it makes world building very different in a way I mean but but there is a, a thing to to look and you realize you can sit at a table and look at Roman ruins and an active volcano I, the, Sicily I would I had no idea actually how beautiful Sicily was I, it was just an idea in my head and then when I started digging a little bit further. Because I'm really interested in the idea of Sicilian witches were really interesting, and oh. when the Inquisition, um, when, when the Inquisition went went to Sicily, they you know wanted to wound up the witches, and and the witches said they said admit that you believe in the devil, and the witches said we don't like the devil, we like the fairies, we worship the fairies, and so they couldn't do anything with them, they had nothing to punish them for, oh. and all the witches got off. So oh, that's <laughs> brilliant. Oh, so I just feel like it's this kind of magic in the, yeah. there's the really, really strong magic there. So um, I was really interested in that. I just read uh, Patrick Rothfuss, um, the second book in in his, uh, what's the name of the wind? And then uh, um, the, the, the wise man, the, 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 the old man's, no, the wise man's fear. Uh, and it's got this whole scene where the character enters the world of the Fae and you get, it's it's really, really cool. And so, yeah, that, that has certainly been on my mind. And then uh, Kate Ristow, who's one of the authors that we work with, has a series of novels and the third will come out hopefully this year uh, and, uh, and, and has, you know, this teleporting back and forth into our world and the world of the Fae. And it's beautiful. Mm -hmm. uh, so highly recommend. But yeah, I love that kind of sense of, the, the Fae are, I'm sure you found this in your research too, that they're not nefarious or benign. They're capricious and, you know, and, and yeah, and, and have a different sense of, uh, uh, I don't even want to say kind of amorality. Like, and so there, that's, that's been fun to read about. How do humans interact with this group of people who are immortal and don't really care about <laughs> morality in the same way that a mortal has to in order to live in a functional society because they've got magic and so that's right. I, I i like when people play with the you know it's not the tinkerbell kind of fairy it's, exactly. this is this Although is tinkerbell could be morally ambiguous yes when you think <laughs> yes. about her poisoning wendy true you yes they're trying to poison wendy that yes a little more nefarious tinkerbell is actually cooler yeah. <laughs> i like that <laughs> Uh, so what is something that you want, uh, listeners to be thinking about right now that you, uh, that that's going on with you, you've got your art show coming up and then, uh, what else has been going on with you in terms of your, uh, your, your writing life that we should get on everybody's radar? Well, I mean, I think I said a lot of the things that I've been thinking about have been, I mean, it, it's been, I've been really lucky to be in some really interesting anthologies recently and, 
um, with people who, you know, especially, you know, the, this one, the Written with Pride one, Underdogs one, I'm really excited at also the editors, this, um, he's a black writer in Texas and he, he just published his first novel and he decided to do these anthologies. It's yeah. so exciting. So, yeah. and I've had a nice correspondence with him. That's all been really good. So I've been thinking about those things. And then I've been thinking about, um, you know, the world, but I think one of the things I must have been, that's been like a refreshing thing to me, or maybe a healing kind of thing to me is I've been paying a lot of attention to birds and I've been paying a lot of attention to raptors. And I was out with a friend, um, we were sitting and we saw, I'd seen a lot of hawks and we saw this bird come over. I don't actually know anything about birds really, but they keep showing up. And so we noticed the bird had a yellow beak and she, and now you found out that was probably a falcon. And then I found out at UMass about a mile and a half from me in the Du Bois library, they, there are falcons nesting on the roof. Oh, really? So these falcons have been, I just, I was out walking and I saw two of them like flying around just, and they were, and I, I, I swear they're coming and checking me out. Like, yeah. or like, or like, what are you? <laughs> so, um, yes. so I, I saw them, Anyway, I've, so I've been looking at pictures of them and of nest, you know, nesting. And and like I said, I'm not a real birder. Like I'm not, but I like, I, I like sort of the broad picture of these birds coming into these neighborhoods and and, and they're my neighbors. They, right. they, they live at UMass, which is really funny. And um, that, so that's been a really wonderful thing to be. And that's making its way into my writing also. Um, Oh, the story in Underdog in the Underdog's Rise is about a shape shifting hawk, a woman who shapeshifts as a hawk. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. And that hawk who this hawk had really, I am serious. She had been sort of, I'd be, I would feel an itch at the back of my neck, like someone's watching me. And I look up and the hawk would just be, um, yeah. She's like, yeah. how's the story coming? So. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, if you ever get a chance to travel out here to the Pacific Northwest, in the the valley where I live, the Willamette Valley, you can you know float down the Willamette River and you will see bald eagles, peregrine falcons, lots and lots of hawks, lots of vultures, which you think when you see them high up, oh look, there's another one. Oh no, it's then you see the head. Oh yeah. oh no, not so much. Uh, but uh, yeah, we have <laughs> lots of beautiful birds of prey in in this area, and you're right, they'll just land on a house. I'm driving to work, and you know this beautiful hawk will land there, and they'll just check you out. You know, what are you doing in my neighborhood? Because this That's is right. theirs as far yeah, as they're it's the neighborhood watchhawk. Yes. <laughs> yes. Oh, that's great. Um, so every week we do a weekly poll, and I forgot to run the weekly poll last week, so you'll be the first voter. Uh, but uh Brian Parker's question that's gonna go out to everybody is clowns or ghost children? Which do you find more frightening? Oh, come on, clowns, absolutely clowns. There's no question. Like I, I I was torn because as soon as I heard the question from Brian, I put them together in my mind. And I was like, now oh. I'm seeing ghost child clowns. This is everything. <laughs> that's terrifying. Clowns are <laughs> clowns are inherently <laughs> terrifying. And the and the idea that, hey, let's put these in circuses, they will amuse children. It's like, I don't know how anybody ever thought that would work, but they are they are terrifying. Um so what would be your poll question? And then we'll toss both up this week. Okay, so it's a bird question. So, you know, who is who owls or crows? Mm, yes. Who do you want at your back in a fight? Owls or crows? Oh, I like that a lot. We uh my my fiance is uh 
I, I don't want to you know bias the poll at all, but my fiance is actively trying to build an army of crows at our house. And apparently you can feed them and you can, you know, incentivize them and then they will decide this is a house we like and you'll keep coming back. So That's we may true. have an army of crows at our house, uh, whereas the owls are far more practical. They are they taking are, care of the not... field mice. Yeah, and they don't flock really. No, Crows no, don't. no. But we have, yeah, yeah, I mean, owls don't flock. So yeah, we've got a, you know, I live in a relatively uh, agricultural area. There, are, you know, mm -hmm. a few blocks north of me, and you're in farmland, and uh, and so the owls love it here because there's lots, okay. <laughs> there's lots for them to. <laughs> so, what's been in your to read pile? What have you been looking forward to? Well, um, I know that Martha Wells has a new book out, and it's a fantasy book. And I even wrote down the name because I knew I was going to forget it. The Witch King. Ah, I so love She has the... a new book called The Witch King. And, um, you know, I love the Murderbot. So great. I would read all of them again and again. I just love them. Yeah. And she's, but she's, um, she's such a wonderful fantasy writer as well as a science fiction writer. And I've not read any of her fantasy. So I'm looking forward to that. That will be really fun. And I'll tell you the two books that I, I, I really liked The Cloud Roads. A lot and then i also read city of bones i've read it twice and I, they're both fantasy they're both fantasy and there's a way that she handles in city of bones she writes an alien he, he doesn't think he's an alien we think he's an alien but he she writes this alien person in a lot of the same way he he reminds me of murderbot of, of somebody oh and i know what it is he's morally ambiguous mm, yep as are crows and as are the fae yeah, as his murderbot, you know that this idea of a person with it's, it's a different, it's like moral relativity. Yeah, and um, and I'm really drawn to those characters, and so and she writes that really well. So I don't know what this witch king is like, but um, I'm looking forward to it. Do the do her fantasy works have that humor that Murderbot has too? Because that's what, I mean, I loved that series. It was so funny. I mean, the character is not even you don't get the sense that he's intentionally trying to be funny but he's hilarious <laughs> i don't think that i have not found any of her fantasy books to be funny and and i found them to be a little bit like 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 um and her world building is brilliant and as you as you would only guess that her world building would be brilliant so i found them to be a little bit um heavy i don't mean heavy in a negative way but they're just right. a little bit more heavy whereas murderbot is and Murderbot is so influenced by popular culture, like yeah. downloading all this media that I think that I think that Murderbot's hysterical. So I, I, I they don't have that same. Yeah, um, that it, same it would be really interesting to read both to get this deeper sense of Martha Wells herself. Like, mm -hmm. you know, this is this is Martha Wells doing fun stuff and this is the heavier stuff. So I, I will have to check those out. Yeah, um, I'm really excited about uh, uh, M.K. Martin has the sequel to Survivors Club. Uh, the book mm -hmm. Ashfall is coming out, and and you know I, I kind of feel badly for uh, for uh, M.K. Martin uh, because Survivors Club is about kind of preventing a pandemic. And then we had one and we have mm. no control as writers over when, you know, world events will, will hit. And so Survivor's Club is a wonderful book. It's really fun and fast paced and very exciting. But the big danger, the stakes are, you know, we could end up with a pandemic. Uh, and of course, far scarier pandemic than we even faced. The people turned into like tentacled horrific monsters. Uh, right. But, uh, but you know, to have that book come out and then have a pandemic hit, I hope people don't have pandemic fatigue to the extent that they're saying, I don't want to read a, a, a sequel about it because her 
world when it then descends into this apocalyptic chaos is it's a Ashfall is a great book. If folks are not so traumatized by the actual pandemic, a pandemic where people become tentacled monsters uh, is uh, it's it's a it's a really fun, fast paced read. So uh, folks, check out Ashfall when that drops next month. It could be refreshing. Maybe, you know, hey, at least it wasn't that. (laughs) (laughs) It wasn't the end of world when everybody grows tentacles. Uh, Yeah. So uh, where can folks find you online and find out more about your work? Um, I'm on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram under my name, Marianne Zenos, X-E-N-O-S. And um, there's only one other Marianne Zenos that I know of. And so it's pretty easy to find me. And also I have a website www.marianzenos.com. So I list all my publications there. I try to always put an asterisk near the ones that people can read for free because there are about four online right now that people can read for free and then others are in print. So yeah, that's great. Which, and you know, I encourage listeners check out, check those out, even the free ones. I mean, of course, definitely buy Marianne's books. Always buy the books. But the free ones, (laughs) it it is helpful to us as writers because then the, the 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 publisher whoever is posting that story is seeing, getting those hits they are seeing yes. who is going and so absolutely check those out that is that's that's cool for us too um so some folks i should thank before we sign off uh thanks to the artist max oakland who reached out and provided one of his songs for our intro song i prefer the dusk let max know you like it by following him on twitter at max oakland with 3d's and thanks to halizna cco for their song kids for the ad break if you're in a band and would like your song used on the show, I would love to highlight a listener's work like Max's song, so email me about that. Um, thanks to Doug, the producer, for making this show sound good and taking the blame when it doesn't. And I cannot forget to mention, Writers Not Writing is a production of Not A Pipe Publishing, so please go to notapipepublishing.com and check out the amazing books written by writers like Marianne, who didn't procrastinate too much. Uh, <laughs> if you like this show, rate it and review it wherever you found it, and check out Marianne's short story in the anthology Written With Pride, uh, The Underdogs Rise, and Writers of the Future, Volume 39. Uh, it's a big feather in, in Marianne's cap as well. I'd forgotten to mention that one. That's a cool thing to have in your on your writer's resume uh and tell a friend about those listeners uh you know recommend those to to other folks even a short review and a single click on that fifth star makes a huge difference to authors so if you've got three minutes make marianne's day click on it and say (laughs) marianne's story was the best in the whole anthology that's wonderful (laughs) um and i am far too old to say smash that like button so gently click on the like button for this show too that would be really nice of you uh, and so that brings us to our, our sign off, Marianne, what would you like folks to remember as they go into this next week? Um, I've been thinking a lot about perfectionism and I've been thinking about how perfectionism often is maybe what comes before the, all the procrastination It's sort of that, um, procrastination is wonderful in a way it can be creative, but also sometimes perfectionism keeps us from working. And I just... I have, there's a quote here. Perfectionism said that Anne Lamott said that perfectionism is the voice of the oppressor, of the oppressor. She said a writer's job is to sit down and write a poopy first draft. So yeah. let's do that. I love let's that idea that it is. Yeah, it's, it's all the it's all the negativity that we've absorbed from the culture saying don't, don't, don't uh, mm-hmm. pushing through that. I totally agree. Um, I would also say to everybody, remember in life, uh, if you, uh, as in writing, it's the spaces between that make something meaningful. If you put out a book with no spaces in it, it would be indecipherable. 
and we need to have those spaces in our lives as well. So take some spaces. And third, no matter how much you procrastinate, we're still proud of you. My time.